Growing up, I don't think my parents worried too much about how stressed I was. I definitely had my stressors, but I also had so many safe places to escape to and to feel safe. Now, it feels like it's just much harder for me and my own kids to find that kind of safe, stress-free space. From TV, news, social media, school drills, it feels like there's just fewer places where my kids can escape and build back their own resilience. I'm Dr. Neha Bartuk, and this is Health Discovered, a podcast by WebMD. I think what I'm feeling is really no different than millions of parents and families across the country. Stress is literally making us sick. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Hansa Bargava, Chief Medical Officer at Medscape Education. She's also a pediatrician and a mom who's been working on cognitive-based compassion training, and it's totally changed how she's tried to build resilience in her own kids and how she's finding these moments of self-compassion that makes it easier to handle the world around her. Hi, Hansa, how are you? I'm good, Neha, thanks for having me on today. Of course, I am so excited to talk to you because um, I'm feeling super stressed and um, I feel like Whenever I'm feeling stressed, you are someone that pops into my head as a colleague and a friend that I can just sort of touch base with and talk these things through with. So I'm hoping you will be okay with that today. Oh, thanks for thinking of me. And, you know, I hope I'm helpful today. I think a lot of us are feeling stressed, Neha. I think it's so prevalent, both adults and children, no matter what work of you know, what part of life they're in. So yeah, glad to be here. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the there's so many reasons I think of you. One, you're an amazing pediatrician. You are the chief medical officer at Medscape. You have two kids of your own that are teenagers. So you're balancing so much. And I think that whenever I kind of recalibrate my own mind and my own life, I think about you and how much you're balancing. So, and and the perspective you bring, and you're also kind of branching into the mental health realm in care. Can you tell me a little bit about that and the cognitively based compassion therapy that you've been exploring recently? Yeah, absolutely. Hi. And I just want to set like context here because It has been a rough few years for all of us. And, you know, certainly the pandemic has contributed to social isolation, which, you know, as human beings, we really need connection, right? And so social isolation has probably exacerbated um, a lot of mental health issues. Um, And just want to point out that prior to the pandemic, I don't know if you remember this, Neha, but Dr. Vivek Murthy had talked about the loneliness epidemic. And and there was a study in 2018 um, that looked at 77,000 people and over 31 countries. And it found that people who are lonely or socially isolated had higher risk of disease across the board. So, you know, stress and loneliness is not good for us. 
Um, and the reason I have been such an advocate of this cognitive-based compassion training that I did at Emory University and I'm a certified teacher of is because it could hold the key for us to not only decrease our stress, but live a better life and, and be more happy. I really think about that so much. I'll give you this situation. With the family, we are all there. We've got grandparents. We've got a toddler. We've got two, maybe a tween and an eight-year-old. Um, and we're we're setting up shop. We've got our chairs out, and it starts to drizzle. And it starts to drizzle, and everybody's sort of like, oh, you know, let's enjoy this. This is kind of a fun experience hanging out in the rain. It looks like the rain will pass really soon, so let's just chill here. We'll be fine. Of course, the drizzle turns into a downpour. <laughs> Thunder and lightning like crazy. And so we're all kind of huddled under this wooden gazebo, I think. There's a whole bunch of families and we're all huddled underneath it, kind of waiting, waiting, waiting for it to pass. And my kids progressively start to freak out. And I'm thinking, you know, this is kind of a good experience. Something that we were expecting to go well went negatively. And so how can we get through it? And some of the thoughts these girls were having were, I felt really bad and I didn't know how to handle it. So I'd love to kind of get your take on this. You know, they were both really worried that we were all going to die and that it was, you know, that somebody was going to get hurt uh, and that lightning was going to strike where we were standing. And I just was thinking, you know, at first I was trying to be up for, you know, let's just talk this through positively. But as the hour went on, I started kind of getting very irritable. So can you help talk me through this kind of situation? Gosh, that kind of situation, unfortunately, has happened to many of us, especially as a parent. So just saying that and putting it out there. So look, I think that, uh, you know, our kids can get anxious and that is normal, right? It's normal. The question is like how far out of of the normal curve do they get and how long do they stay out there and what can we do to help that and that's really the definition of resilience right when adversity hits how do you react right and and what you want to do is kind of stay in that zone of resilience so it's okay to be stressed but it's not okay to stay stressed and it's not okay to go so high into stress that you can't come back down and so you know that's where we talk about self-compassion um, yeah, and 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 I think I think the way to do that is to actually realize that we all are living often, especially in our society today, and especially with kind of the scars we carry from the pandemic um, because of the social isolation, in this zone of being stressed, and that's what we really need to bring down. And the way we do that, I'm just going to talk from a theoretical standpoint, and then I'll come back to your situation in a second. So basically from a theoretical standpoint, like if you think of a heart rate, right, we want to stay between, you know, for adults, it's between 60 and 100, um, you know, beats per minute. But if we're constantly riding around 150, right, no matter where we are, then your heart really doesn't have the capacity to take any other kind of stress. It's already up there, right? Um, or if we're riding around like 40s, then again, the heart is not capable of taking that stress. So we kind of want to stay in that normal zone so that there's a buffer there. 
Similarly, for our stress reaction, we want to stay in the resilient zone, which is like it can be a little bit high, it can be a little bit low, but we don't want to be constantly high. And frankly, with social media, media pumping out 24-7 news, it stresses us all out and we often kind of ride around that. So it's more important than ever to kind of know that and to purposefully bring ourselves down into that resilience zone. So going back to your situation, which I've had with my kids too, like in fact, um, over the last few weeks, I have teenagers. So I've been going head to head with, with, you know, one of my kids and, you know, I was in that zone where I was outside <laughs> that norm. Like I was probably the equivalent of like 140 for about a week or so. But the thing is with the training, I realized that, oh my gosh, like I am riding up here. I'm at, I need to figure out a way to bring myself back into a normal zone because I can't handle him until I can handle myself. Right. And, and to bring myself back to that zone, uh, there are methods that we talk about in CBCT to do that, and the more you do it, it's just like going to, like, if you want to run a race, you're not going to be able to run that race the very first day. You kind of have to train for it. You got to train your muscles for it. Similarly, we train our mind muscles to kind of, A, notice we're outside the zone and B, be able to bring ourselves back. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. So what are some of the techniques that you use to bring yourself back? Yeah, and that's a great question. So from a biological perspective, you know this, I know this, it's called sympathetic overdrive, constantly triggering our flight or fight response, right? So we want to bring it down from that. So we want to trigger the other system, which is the parasympathetic system, or in layperson's language, you know, bringing the nervous system down to ground zero. <laughs> so the way that we do that, like some strategies that we use with CBCT is a nurturing moment. So the nurturing moment is wonderful. And I use it often, actually. Yeah. So the nurturing moment is actually thinking back to a time where you felt secure, safe, nurtured. It could be with family. It could be with a friend. It could be with your pet. It could be in a nice place. But basically taking, you know, sitting down, closing your eyes, taking really deep breaths, focusing on your breath, and then thinking about that time. And when you take yourself back to that time, it's a visualization technique, thinking about, you know, not just that time, but actually looking around in that moment. What do you see? What do you smell? What do you hear? And, you know, I have a few places that I go to, like memories that I have. And it really like that in combination with the deep breathing actually can bring me down in that moment. And the thing is, it goes back to like, I, I always talk about athletics and exercise because I hope that that's something that people can relate to. But again, like doing it often trains your brain, just like you train your muscles uh, to be able to run rather than walk or, you know, walk fast rather than walk slow. Similarly, if you do it more often, that can really help. And then, of course, the second really awesome strategy, if you can make yourself do this, and this is like a second step, I wouldn't do it first because it's hard, is actually meditation and mindfulness. Like, it's amazing. That strategy out there, Neha, just like, I'm just like, when you actually think about the ability to control your thought process, and to be able to bring your focus back to the moment or whatever task you're working on, instead of worrying about your list of things to do, imagine having that power over your mind. 
that's really powerful, right? And mindfulness meditation can help train your brain to do that. Uh, You know, as you're talking, one of the things I'm wondering is just in the moment, right? So for example, identifying that emotion in yourself, I get that. Yes. Okay. I'm with you there. Let's just talk about children for a second. So when you're in that moment with your kid and you're trying to help them identify that, is that helpful? Is that irritating to them? You know what I mean? Like just sort of being like, hey, you know, don't be scared because X, Y, and Z reason. Or should it be just sort of like acknowledging that, okay, I totally get that you're scared um, and then having them talk through it. But it just didn't seem like the right time. Like it was just like they were in that fear zone. So, So what do you do? So that's great. So you recognize that they were outside of that zone, right? Like their heart rate equivalent would have been like really high, right? So we want to bring them down to the zone as well. So I think, like I often talk about the oxygen mask, Neha. So I have to ask you a question. Where were you? Where were you in this moment? Like, were you out of the zone? Because the thing is, that, and the reason I ask you, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. No. It's- kids can like read that like no tomorrow. They know immediately if the parent is out of the zone. Well, you know, I will have to tell you this, that I always find storms and thunderstorms to be super fun. And I felt like we were in a very safe place. So the first like 30 minutes, I I promise you, I was so calm. <laughs> I had a toddler that was literally every time, she's two, so every time the lightning would strike, she would scream out, no fireworks, and start crying. So she was definitely like stressed. I was trying to keep it light. Um, but, you know, as the time wore on, it was like 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and I just could not. And then the kids were, you know, saying these things where I was just sort of like, hey, look around. Look, people are having fun. Look, this is okay. We're going to be fine. Um, And then I think at the like 30, 40 minute mark is when I just started losing it. So you're right. I did. I did go out of that zone after well, a while. Well, I mean, that's part of it. But part of it was that you know, 30, 40 minutes is a long time, too. So, um, <laughs> so I'm not, like, again, I'm not putting you on the spot. All I'm saying is the oxygen mask, right? So first of all, if you if you realize, like, to know you're out of the zone is the first step, right? You have to know it. Um, and then the second step is probably to bring yourself down, i.e. put on the oxygen mask yourself. And then the third step is to deal with the situation with your kids. So so Neha basically knows it. She puts on her oxygen mask. <laughs> and, then, and then she gets down to the level of the child. And she looks at the child eye to eye because that really helps, you know, once, once your child sees you eye to eye. And also the other thing that really helps that we don't talk about enough is touch. The human touch, right? So putting your hands on your child and possibly even giving them a hug because a hug of 20 seconds or more can actually release oxytocin, right? So these techniques actually can really help. In fact, in the Trauma Resource Institute, um, they call it the Community Resiliency Model, but they taught this touch technique to healthcare workers, Neha. Uh, healthcare workers who de- deal with code blues and trauma situations in the ER, and they basically taught these techniques where you kind of touch either surface or touch someone else and just kind of focus on that touch. 
And, and basically, they found that this technique helped them get out of that stress zone, back into the resiliency zone, and be able to focus on the task at hand. So going back to the kids, like hugs and touching and looking at them eye to eye in a very calm voice. Again, the voice will help. And talking to them, all these things really help. And again, I would say to you, communication is 90% all of those things. So before I even say the words, right? The child is actually noticing that you are calm, that is, the child is noticing the touch, and already you've kind of activated that parasympathetic calming response. And then really just talking through it and saying, I know, again, helping them kind of, kind of like acknowledging their, their emotions, and that will actually help them identify it too, right? Because you want them to be able to identify, just like you identified that you're in the stressed out zone. It'd be great for all their kids to be able to identify that, right? Because once you identify that, then you can do something about it. So helping them, uh, you know, acknowledge that and saying, hey, I know you're stressed. I know you're scared, but I am here for you and nothing will happen. You know, um, nothing will, and I will protect you. So just saying those words, but the communication has to be everything. Your eyes, your touch, your voice before even the words come out. Wow. I love that. Yeah, that that totally kind of gives you something to do. I think that a lot of times parents and people for themselves too get frustrated just because you're sort of like have identified the problem, but you can't take that next step to figure out what to do about the problem. And I think you just laid out really several like very tangible things that you can do as a parent or you can do as an adult or a carer um, to, to help not only yourself, but someone else that you're, you're caring for. Yeah. And I'll give you another situation that I thought was really interesting. So, you know, my mom was in the hospital recently and, um, you know, she was obviously really stressed out and, and, you know, she was in the ER and then unfortunately she had to get some, a procedure done, but here's the, here's a scenario now. So basically she's stressed out. She's worried. She's like, you know, what's going on. And then unfortunately, um, the, the nighttime nurse um, seemed like she might have been stressed out too. Maybe she had a lot of work to do. We know our healthcare workers are stressed out. And so she she comes in and my mom, you know, is asking for things and she's stressed out. So they just have, you know, they have a difficult communication. So my mom calls me and she says, you know, the nurse is not very cooperative. She's not helping me. And of course, I know where my mom's coming from, right? She's totally stressed out. She's been, she hasn't eaten or drank for like 24 hours. She was in the ER all this stuff. Right. And so I, I'm like, okay, well, when she comes in again, call me and I'll talk to her. And so she called me and assume, and, and immediately the nurse was actually quite defensive. Like as soon as I said, hi, I'm, you know, the, the my mom's daughter and you know, whatever. And she's like, well, I did everything for your mom already. And she, you know, she wants this and that. And I just, you know, I've done everything I can. And so Neha, I did exactly what I just told, I uh, talked about with the child. Like I said, I, I paused and let her finish. And then after she finished, I said in a very calm voice, I said, you know, I know you've done everything and I know how hard you're working. And I really am grateful for you taking care of my mom. Like, it's very hard for me. I'm far away from her. And I really appreciate you doing that. And then basically said, look, you know, these are her questions and, you know, what can we do? And then basically closing the conversation off with, again, thank you so much for everything you're doing. And I know how hard you're working. The next day my mom called and she's like, that nurse completely changed. Like 
the next time she came into my room, she was a different person. I, I don't know what she did. She was so kind and so wonderful. And she just took such great care of me. So I think that, you know, you know, understanding each other, whether it's a child or another person and giving them that gratitude and kindness, because all of us, like, especially right now, after two years of this, and also, honestly, I'll say the 24-7 news cycle, um, all of us are frazzled, right? We're all frazzled. So kind of acknowledging that and actually acknowledging each other and being kind to each other, and that's what we talk about in the CBCT course, goes such a long way because ultimately, like, for me, hearing that, like, okay, so me, I gave her some gratitude and I gave her some, I guess I gave her some kindness, but she was the one who was helping my mom. I wasn't. And, and so I think that not only helped her, it felt good. No, I think, you know, what you're saying, it, it, it just constantly kind of reinforces the idea of these simple things, right? Like you just feel like this is too simple to be so life-changing, but it really is in terms of, dealing with this sort of like global global resilience problem that we're having where everybody is stressed to the limit everywhere pretty much you can guarantee that anyone you're interacting with is in some way shape or form really stressed to the limit so this type of technique go- going in knowing that to all of your interactions can really have such a such a life altering change. I, I totally believe that because for for you, you ha- you said a few kind words to the nurse. Now that changes the kind of care that your mom is going to get, intentionally or unintentionally, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think kindness goes a long way. And I know it sounds really cliche, but the three reasons that kindness goes a long way is number one, like actually it connects you to the person. So I was now connected to the nurse, right? On a human level, right? So for that, and that helps me, connection is always good for human beings, right? Um, The second is the giver's high. Like if you give kindness, there's actually a biological response that happens in your brain. Um, where, you know, you get that, you get that high that you get from a run or, you know, the dopamine basically responds, right? And lastly, you know what it helps also with is realizing that all of us are in the same boat, right? And it kind of reconnects us to our community from that perspective that, oh my God, you know, she's, she probably is going through stuff too. I'm going through stuff. And it's so sort of like maximize that connection. So I think you know, being kind and compassion is not just about the other person, not just about the community, but it really is about us. What are you doing specifically with your children? So you said that you have two teenagers. This is a hard, hard time for them because really we had probably a period of life when at least during our childhoods where things were somewhat stable in some way, if not internally, then externally. Our kids are just growing up in a time where everything is just out of control. So what kind of tools, techniques are you using with them? Now, I cannot tell you how out of control things seem right now with our youth, right? We know this, the numbers, the statistics, but I can tell you as a pediatrician, because people come to me um, to ask me about their kids, I have never seen how many parents are coming to me saying that their kid has an anxiety issue, that their kid's depressed, that their kid's suicidal like literally, like so many people, they have an eating. It's 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 an epidemic of 
huge proportions. So, you know, in my home with my kids, I am very cognizant of that, right? And so I think it's really, there's two things with teenagers that I really advocate for, and I do this in my own home. And that is, even if you are stressed out, you need to be able to bring yourself back to ground zero. You need to bring yourself back to resiliency. Put your oxygen mask on and make sure that you take that time for self-compassion. Self-compassion is not about bubble baths. It's about the mental self-compassion, right? And to do that, it's to take time away for yourself, whether it's meditation or a walk in nature or maybe having a cup of coffee with a friend where you can vent. Very, very important to do that because if you can't bring yourself to ground zero, you will not be able to help your kids come back to that resiliency zone. So that's the first thing. Very important, right? And even if that means like, and the other day I had like an argument with my daughter, even if that means saying, hey, I don't think it's a good idea to talk about this further right now. How about you go in your space and I go in my space and we will talk about it either tomorrow or in a few hours. And it's amazing how deep breathing and just 15 minutes away for me from my daughter actually refocuses my lens and brings me back to ground zero. And I, that's what exactly what I did. Like I walked away and after about 15, 20 minutes, after some deep breathing and realizing that I was actually probably out of my zone, um, <laughs> going back to her and having that conversation and saying, hey, I just want to know, I want to, in a calm voice again, eye to eye and with a hand on her shoulder saying, I just want you to know, I love you. And, you know, we may not agree on this, but I only want the best for you and we can work through this. Right. And that, and, but saying it in a calm voice, having that communication that's nonverbal be grounded is really important. And that means, this is what I talk about and people don't talk about as much self-compassion the ability to bring yourself back to that resiliency zone so that you can actually help your kids come back. Um, and then the other thing I just wanted to say, Neha, this is really, really important. And if you don't mind, uh, I just want to tell us one story that comes out of the CBCT course. It's a story of the mustard seed. And so basically um, there's, this, there's, there's this couple, I'll give you a very abbreviated version, that is infertile and they can't have a baby. And they live in a village where, you know, it's really important for young couples to have babies, it's, you know, in, 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 in a village in Asia, thousand years ago, whatever. Um, and, and so they're so upset, so upset. They go to the medicine man, nothing. They go and talk to several people, nothing. And then they hear that there's these monks that are coming through the village and that they are very good at health issues. So when they come, they go to the head monk and they ask him and the monk looks at them and nods and says, I have a solution for you. But in order to do the solution, the ritual, you're going to go and have to get mustard seeds from a name from, from, from someone in the village. And they said, oh yeah, that's fine. They use mustard seeds in cooking all the time. That's not a problem. They laugh and they say, yeah, no problem. They, and he says, no, but you have to get it from a home that, you know, there has been no suffering. So not, nothing, this home has to be completely happy and there's been no suffering now or previously in this home. So they said, yeah, no problem. So they go to the first home and they ask for the mustard seeds. And of course, the neighbor says, yes, of course I have mustard seeds. You know, let me just go get them. And they said, oh, but, but we just want to know, have you had any sadness in your home? And he says, well, yeah, actually, you know, my wife was just diagnosed with a disease and she's, you know, the doctor, the medicine man is saying she's going to die and I've been so upset and all this other, uh, you know, talks about it. And they said, oh, no, no, we can't have your mustard seeds. So the couple walks to the next door 
And the next door, they asked the same question. They said, can we have some mustard seed? And the neighbor said, of course. And then they asked the second question. They say, have you had any sadness or you know, unhappiness in your life? And he says, well, actually, I lost my sister a few years ago. You know, she got run over by like a horse and they couldn't get, you know, and she died and he tears up and they said, oh, we're so sorry. We need to leave. And so this, every house they go to, they ask this question. And in every house, after 100 houses, they realize that there is no family that has no troubles. And so they go back to the monk the next day and they said, we couldn't find mustard seeds from a house that has no troubles. And he said, ah, so that is the story right there, that everyone has suffering. And to know that is part of life can make it actually much, much better for you. So that's the other part of resilience, Neha, to understand that we all have to go through ups and downs and we all have suffering. And if you look at it from that point of view, it makes it probably just a little bit easier to know that when bad times might come, there will be good times again, but you got to go through the bad to get to the good and vice versa. Right. No, it's this whole idea of having hope um, and, and how do we instill that, that Things can go badly, but you have to have some internal understanding and hope that things will then turn around as well, because they do. You know, the next morning, there's always sunlight. This has been such a great conversation. Um, again, I, I always look to you when I have these kinds of, <laughs> of thoughts and concerns, and you always have such great advice and such great insights. Thank you so much. Neha, this has been so wonderful. And, you know, I just have one more thing. Remember, even if things go wrong and you don't think you did the right thing, let it go. Always let it go and move forward. So thank you for having me. There really is so much going on in the world around us, and our kids are totally picking up all that tension. Tension that's inside of us, and the tension that's around them all day long. Taking a moment for a really simple strategy like choosing kindness and choosing compassion seems like it's really no match for the bigness of all these problems around us. But it also seems like maybe the best strategy that we've got Dr. Hansa Bargova is Chief Medical Officer at Medscape Education. She's a pediatrician, mom, and practitioner of cognitive-based compassion training. Thanks for listening to Health Discovered, a podcast by WebMD. I'm Dr. Neha Bhattak, Chief Physician Editor of Health and Lifestyle Medicine, and I want you to be happy, healthy, and here for our latest episode. So follow us on your favorite podcast app. See you next time.